3: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Election Fever. We discuss the press and broadcasters' plans. Now, this snap election has been well and truly snapped. Calvin McKenzie is finally let go from his job at The Sum. Is Murdoch cleaning up the place ahead of Ofcom's Sky ruling? Plus, Adam Crozier leaves ITV. Our panel discuss the implications for the high-flying world of TV chiefs. We hear from Pop Bitch on this weekend's Eurovision Song Contest and in the Media Quiz. We pitch you the top line, you give us the story. It's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me today in the plush confines of the Picture House Central are The Guardian's Tara Conlon. Welcome back to the podcast, Tara. Hello. Hello. Uh, and Festival Director of the Edinburgh International TV Festival. It's Lisa Campbell. Hello, Lisa. Hello. Hi. You launched the 2017 programme a few days ago.
0: We did. We had our quiz night and launch that so was hosted by Alex Zane and Andrew Smith, who was runner-up in Bake Off. So we had some fantastic rounds there, including building cake stands, and, um, and we made the initial announcements. So there are more to come but uh, yeah I'll, I'll
3: sort of go on big hitters what have we got to look forward to um,
0: well McTaggart and alternative McTaggart still to come mm-hmm. so watch this space but, yeah. um, I still we've... haven't been approached <laughs> if you're
3: interested Unless it doesn't arrive. Yeah, give it Uh, till August, then we'll be knocking on your door. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Phoebe Waller-Bridge, so I'm really excited about this. So the um, uh, Fleabag actress and creator giving a bit of a comedy masterclass. And uh, I think she's just really exciting, sort of at the forefront of a new generation of female writer-performers. We've got Rio Ferdinand, a bit sort of uh, left field, but he's got 20 million social media followers. So we're looking at a panel with BT Sport, particularly looking at how you capitalise on a fan base how you kind of make the most of your rights, fragmented audiences. So I think there'll be a lot of um, interesting things to come out of that. Um, Yeah, I mean,
3: it's a trend that you sort of started last year, very obviously, when... The festival was sponsored by YouTube and BT for the first time and clearly was about multi platform, not just about telly anymore. Mm. But I know you've got a session on podcasting this year as well. We Again, have. I haven't been invited to that. <laughs> um, but clearly saying that telly isn't just about, you know, the old fashioned goggle box anymore.
0: Yeah, invitations in the post. And um, no, that, that's right. I and mean, we've got Snapchat as well. So that's the first time we've, we, you know, we've welcomed them to the festival. So that's the head of content, Nick Bell, who's about 12 and uh, multi millionaire. Um, but, you know, they are going to outline their sort of content plans and, and strategy so um, I think that's yeah there's some exciting stuff on the on the digital side as well as traditional telly
3: and what about you Tara do you turn to snapchat for your glossy high-end drama
0: uh
2: not terribly regularly <laughs> I have to say I was I'm more like um like BBC Charles the brilliant Charles Third. oh yes has that night, been on it's been marmas, on there, has yes, it? yeah yes, I love yes, the fly, I'm good. excited to watch very that very good yeah. lots of blank verse which is makes a change from people complaining about mumbling but I thought it was brilliant really interesting
3: and anything catch your eye it. from Lisa's lineup?
2: Yeah, well, I always love the opening sessions. So we've had in the past Big Brother and uh, Edinburgh's Got Talent and Lip Sync Challenge, I think was that last Lip year. Lip Sync Battle was Lip last Sync year with battle. Mel B. Battle. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this year Blue Peter, which will be brilliant watching loads of broadcasters try and make things like
0: makes change from making schedules, I think <laughs> something like
2: that. But How
3: have you never done Blue Peter before at the TV Festival?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. In I right not Maybe, face, maybe isn't people they? are worried about elephant poo on stage yeah. or something but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, never worked with children or TV broadcasters.
3: Okay, let's move on to our biggest stories of the media week. And since our last regular panel-type discussion, we find ourselves in the midst of a snap election campaign, if you hadn't noticed. Uh, There's been much discussion of whether or not Theresa May would take part in ITV's televised debate. Uh, Instead, she settled for a question-time appearance on the BBC, where Jeremy Corbyn will also appear, but not at the same time, as is a bit of a repeat of the am-I-tough-in-us, hell-yes debate from last time. Tara, what's that about?
2: Well, I think it's, I mean, it's about control, really, isn't it? Both things are about control, and it's Groundhog Day from 2015. The politicians are trying to do just what they want to do, whoever's got the most to lose if they haven't got anything to lose, why do they want to try and put themselves in a position where they might, as happened with the previous leaders' debates with Nick Clegg, you know, they might actually lose some ground. So if they can control it. But I have to say, going through, you know, who's in, who's out, who's doing what, I mean, it makes Brexit look quite <laughs> simple, doesn't it? Because you've got the ITV leaders' debates, you've got um, some of the BBC, apart from the Question Times, they've got election debates with, I think, seven of the major political parties. Not quite sure exactly who is going to be speaking from which political party yet, but it's not a leader's debate and I think you know they're almost, I mean we're sick of votes but we almost need a vote on whether or not we have a leaders debate because this is going to come around every single time. Well
3: Ed Miliband was laughed at at the last election, he was laughed at for lots of things including the energy policy that the Tories are now putting forward but he was laughed at wasn't he for suggesting that the leaders debate should be enshrined in law but here we are again with Theresa May and now Jeremy Corbyn backing out of what the public really want to see Yeah
0: I mean ultimately politicians should be held to account and and they shouldn't be afraid of that and I think it's actually really shocking to say at press conferences certain people are allowed or only Certain people can have questions, or you have to file your questions in in advance. You know, it's terrible if some journalists are are colluding with that, and with the, you know, with the Tory PR team, or you know, whoever's behind it. You know, I know maybe this is naive, but they are rivals. But you'd hope that they would collectively take a stance against this, in this, in for the sake of press freedom, you know, more generally. So I think it's a really worrying trend, particularly at a time of fake news and, and, you know, lack of trust for media organisations, you know, just to to not really have people being properly challenged and surprised and caught out. um, It's just wrong. And we've seen it quite, uh, in a very small-scale way,
2: in media sometimes, you know. I used to work for the Mail and I'd sometimes get excluded from BBC events when relations between the two organisations were at their, their lowest ebb. But you know, this is, a, this is a much more important arena and I think you know, BuzzFeed's now been let back into the Labour election campaign.
3: So that was the issue where Jim Waterson of BuzzFeed did an interview with Jeremy Corbyn, which they liked at the time, and then the Labour Party didn't like the way it had been presented and spun basically.
2: Uh, yeah, and it was to do with whether or not he would carry, Corbyn would carry on after the, the election and BuzzFeed put up the footage so everyone could hear for themselves and you know he said he was
3: carrying on it was clearly the context of if you lose the election exactly and
2: they've been uh, let back in but um, sort of slightly shunned and you know perhaps not put in the best seat in the house maybe I don't
0: know ironically it was World Press Freedom Day last week (laughs) and um, um, but what's really frightening is the UK's dropped on the Press Freedom Index to number 40. So that means UK journalists are apparently less free to hold power to account than those working in South Africa, Chile or Ghana. Free speech campaigner Reporters Without Borders said Western democracies are approaching a tipping point for media freedom. Yesterday in the US, did you see the uh, journalist was arrested after yelling questions at the health secretary? Mm. And he works for public news service and three decades' experience. And he, he was asking about domestic violence and repeatedly asking the question. was told he was too persistent and was arrested. It's just
2: unbelievable. It's it? if you can't be persistent, what's the point of being in journalism? You've got to ask the questions if they're not, you know, if they're not being answered. You've got to continue asking them, haven't you? Yeah. Look at Jeremy Paxman.
0: And, and the, the Law Commission is, um, is consulting on an espionage bill, and this threatens to criminalise journalists and their sources. So, essentially, if you're publishing a public interest story based on leaked information, both you and your source could get a prison term of up to 14 years. But, you know, I mean, you need to do that. that it's, it's investigative journalism. If you, if, you know, you need, you need the whistleblowers, well, you should be able to report on that yeah. if it's a public interest. It shouldn't be a crime. Journalism isn't a crime.
3: No, but if you're a reporter, you want to be able to ask the question, but you do understand, don't you, that if you're a politician or if you're the spin doctor working for the political parties, you don't need to answer those questions necessarily. You know, if if your goal is to just try and make sure that everyone who would vote for you anyway definitely turns up and votes, and anyone who's a swing voter knows about you, you actually don't care, you know, if you're Theresa May, what the Daily Mirror are asking, do you? And if you're... You know, well, if I, you're Jeremy guess, Corbyn, you yeah, don't really care what the Telegraph are yeah, asking. Yeah,
2: I guess they think that they're so far ahead that just going on the one show will be enough. No, but
3: even if, if you're the Labour Party, you, you don't care what the Telegraph are asking, essentially, because they're not going to vote for you anyway. You're after the people who might. So you're going to speak to BuzzFeed, which is, I guess, where they've made a mistake banning them.
2: Yes, I think that's the thing. They think that there are other options out there. And then when they realise that other options are not softer options than the traditional publishers, you know, that's when they freak out.
3: What's interesting to me is the standout moment of this election campaign so far was Diane Abbott on LBC being asked the most innocent of questions. (laughs) So this new policy, how are you going to fund it? I mean, it really was as soft as that, wasn't it? It wasn't Ferrari in attack dog mode. And she completely floundered, went all over the place. So it shows, doesn't it? In this 24-hour news cycle, in a way, whoever you're speaking to at some point, you're going to trip up and people will speculate and comment on that.
2: Yeah, there are so many outlets out there now or members of the public recording politicians that I guess they don't want to encounter any more traps than they think there are already. But they do need to do a big mainstream uh, audience as well. They need to be in front of the mainstream audience. Or else, as as Lisa says, you know, what does that say for democracy?
3: Are you going to be watching Tim Farron versus Caroline Lucas on a Friday evening? <laughs> oh yes, <of> yes, we'll <laughs> <it'll> all be <laughs> there you in a minute. Watch our millions. It catch up.
2: Get <laughs> <laughs> through the boring bits.
3: Also this week, it was announced that Calvin Mackenzie had been sacked as a columnist by the Sun, the paper he used to edit. Now, Tara, I say had because it transpires that he's actually been sacked for over two weeks. Mm. Why?
2: Well, I think for for reasons of of just legality and working things out and how they could, you know, know, get out of it. Because obviously they still got, uh, he's still working on, uh, what's it called, a spokesman said.
3: Which is his price comparison Yes, which I thought was really
2: interesting. So I went on and had a look, you know, if I was planning to change my broadband provider. And funnily enough, um, one of the taglines on it is is loyalty doesn't pay. But I think Kelvin's loyalty (laughs) has paid. But there's quite a few interesting, you know, there are other providers out there obviously but this, this the first thing when you're looking at broadband it says sky plug base it says the founding father of home entertainment and paid tv sky is still the first name in sport premier league anyone so you know anyone going look on looking online to change their provider is going to see that first of all so, so he'll still
3: be in the news uk building yeah do you think it was right that the sun fired him
2: i think at the moment because of ofcom looking at the bid from uh, 21st century fox they had to do it he's been um, a loose cannon basically hasn't he so they don't want to invite any more trouble they're still dealing with the um, Bill O'Reilly scandal so Ofcom has been to meet the lawyers of those who are supposedly suing Fox News and it's and it's looking basically at the condition of whether or not they're a fit and proper owner and when you've got a columnist who is allegedly writing things which could be interpreted as racist or um, stirring up hate again in Liverpool, it doesn't look good to the parent company um, and so it's, it's really about corporate governance I think at, at the end of the day
3: And do you think on that point Lisa that it is a shrewd move um, that actually Ofcom would consider that kind of thing when they're, they're doing their fit and proper test because they are supposed to be separate companies now aren't they, News UK and Fox
0: Yes but I think they have to be seen to be investigating this properly because there is, you know, there is such heat around it and the fit and proper test is probably the only way that they can really challenge because I don't think there are competition issues I don't think there's anything that sort of needs to be spun off in the same way that last time you know the news news division was was spun off last time and and he didn't apologize for any other aspects of the article which included you know suggesting people in Liverpool um, could only earn as much as football as if they were drug dealers and I know you know some people like think okay it's throwaway comments but he's it's become quite He's a professional worrying. shitster, he, he that's is, the job. You know, but, you know, come we were just defending
3: the, the freedom there, yeah. of the press, weren't we? And we reporters were. to ask whatever yeah. they want. I mean, yeah. if he's writing in a humorous way, you know, he'd say, well, I'm no different to Rod Little or Jeremy Clarkson, or, you know, I'm, I'm being a provocateur. There should be a role for that in the press. I mean, on the on the actual issue of, of Ross Barkley, briefly, I know this was weeks ago now, this is the Everton midfielder that he compared to a gorilla. The son actually put a picture of Ross Barkley next to a picture of a gorilla. And then obviously this was allegedly racist because he has Nigerian heritage. There's no way, is there? I mean, cock up rather than conspiracy, surely. There's no way in, in in this year, in 2017, that The Sun would actually publish a picture of a gorilla next to someone who has African heritage on purpose to make a racist remark. I just don't believe that.
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. You don't did- you believe,
3: Kelvin, when he at least says, I didn't mean that?
2: I, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, at the moment, who knows? You couldn't make up what's going on in media at the moment, could you, so you, you kind of don't know what to believe. But they do say, they, The Sun did say, that he, he didn't know about his, you know, about Ross's um, grandfather, about his heritage. Just saying, what so, would be in it for you know, them? There was what probably would be just in it for them to you know, alienate the, their Black
3: readership by doing well, that? Well,
2: yes, exactly. So, so you know, they've so, got quite a sense of humor some that, of the some subs, you know, putting pictures up there. Maybe if the picture hadn't been up there, it might not have been quite as um, a, a storm Inclosure, as there has, yeah. but that's what happened I just I
3: don't don't take it upon myself to feel sorry for Kelvin McKenzie very often but I do think on this on his word he was probably you know he certainly didn't intend that
0: no, I, I mean, that, I'm sure that would have been a picture editor's choice. That wouldn't yeah. have been, you know, he's not illustrating his own column, I'm sure. But yeah, that's the thing. You have to, What I guess, what we don't know is
2: did he sign off? Did he see the proof of that? You know, did he actually write, see what the proof
0: was going to be? How did he sell? On the Bill O'Reilly thing, I think, as, as Tara pointed out, it's about corporate governance issues. And I think, you know, Fox have come back to defend this and say, well, we've put, uh, you know, some women in charge at the top now, which you know you've got a female finance director and head of programming and when you watch fox news it, it's clearly on screen a very macho culture and behind the scenes it sounds very much so with 19 lawsuits in in the last year but um, th-
3: to but be fair to them i think they did mean female heads at 21st century fox generally didn't they the movie studios and everything not just fox news yeah they're sorry, saying sorry. fox news has been blown out of proportion it's just one part of our empire
0: yeah, but I think what's, what's worrying is the, you know, the stories that have now emerged about people who've essentially been paid off. So, that, so there's been settlements and then non-disclosure agreements. And so people's silence has been bought. You know, So if, if you can't say to your employees you've faced sexual or racial discrimination or you know, whatever kind of abuse it might be and you can come forward but keep quiet about it, You know, I think that really raises enormous questions about who is signing that off. How far to the top does it go? So if that goes to, you know, James Murdoch, who, who, you know, sounds like he's trying to sort of clean up the stable, maybe he's not across this. But that sort of environment is really worrying. And and I think absolutely right that that it's looked into properly. But
3: is it fair, actually, to sort of tar everyone with the same brush in the sense that I know Fox News is a big part of the empire, but... You know, in the sense that when Savile happened, people said, oh, the BBC, the BBC is a corrupt institution that's not looking after children. Like, anyone who works at the BBC would say, no, isn't there like a really rotten apple there? And that's awful. But, you know, there's nothing that connects, you know, the people who work for Comic Relief to the people who worked on Jim Will Fix It whatever it is. It's a huge organisation. Local radio is not the same thing. And so can you just say the same about Fox? It's such a huge organisation that, of course, there are problems within it.
0: I think it's, you know, it's a modern media organisation and Savile were talking about a whole different thing. It, you know, occurred a long time ago. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's, again, it's big name talent that are untouchable, according to to some. Um, And with Fox, it it appeared that it only was when it became a commercial issue that advertisers were deserting that it was really taken seriously. Um, But, I mean, I don't know. Is is the question, is this happening at media organisations all over the place? Well, or just organisations all over the place, you know, that, yeah, that actually yeah.
3: you're, you're basically talking about men and their sexual deviancy, aren't you? And that happens in every organisation of scale, basically, and that's a terrible thing, but we need to look at that across society, not just say, oh, this is one media company.
0: But if there's an enormous deal of, of this level, I think you have to look at the culture of an organisation and the impact, negative impact it might have. And it's who, who knew what when, basically, isn't it? And, exactly. Or who didn't read an
2: email when they should have done, maybe. Mm.
3: It seems unlikely that people at the top of the tree didn't realise ten years ago that there was an issue with O'Reilly, and they at least decided that wasn't a big enough deal to fire him, didn't they?
2: Well, it's, it's like, I mean, across the media, everyone knows, you know, as, as a journalist, everyone knows certain people within the industry who, or certain people that you interview who, you know, are, as we used to say, you know, a little bit kind of hands-on, as I might put it. You can tell people about that. What they choose to do about it, higher up their organisation, is, is another matter.
3: Sounds like a very exciting episode of the podcast that we're not recording today, but maybe one day. Uh, Before we head to the break, it is Eurovision this weekend. So what better way to prepare for the pan-European singing contest than with a cutout and keep guide? Here is resident Eurotrash expert at pop bitch Kit Lovelace to fill you in on the story so
1: far. So this is uh, my first proper Eurovision. I've been to see the show once before uh, and popped into the press center just to pick up a bag full of uh, freebies, but this is the first time I've been here properly reporting in the press center. Strangely enough, as we're speaking, somebody's just dropped a piece of paper down by me telling me that the European Broadcast Union is the world's leading alliance of public service media, 73 members in 56 countries, operating 82 TV services, 1,156 radio services, and uh, (laughs) a non-specific number of online services the numbers here suggest that the potential audience of the ebu is about 1.04 billion people and they broadcast in 122 languages so yeah i mean it there is uh, there is more than just sort of Graham norton and mel giedroy kicking about here there are there is a significant number of um journalists we were up until about 2 a.m last night waiting for the uh, semi final two draws and people were straight back in here first thing this morning, getting ready for what's going to be the jury dress rehearsal, starting in about 50 minutes, uh, which tonight is Friday night, will be um, the jury final, where the juries give out their points, and then tomorrow is obviously the grand final that's televised. And yeah, there's just no let-up, really. (laughs) I thought I'd get to see a little more of Kiev. Every year I look at the musical theory of each of these songs and have been building up over the last sort of 10 years a model of, of what makes a winner, if there's anything in particular. Minor keys uh, tend to win roughly about uh, four times more frequently than songs in major keys. Um, so usually looking for something in a minor key. This year, the three hot favorites, Italy, uh, Portugal and Bulgaria, all appear to be in major keys. This could be playing havoc with my model. There's, so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that an underdog comes through the UK's in D minor, that's a very successful key. that's won, uh, won three times in the last uh, sort of 10 years. Other things to look out for are the tempo. Uh, there's a tempo of 128 beats per minute for some reason there's absolute death to a Eurovision uh, entry. It's, it's lost six, six times since the year 2000 and I don't quite know why. I have some theories, but nothing set in stone. Germany entered two songs on the truck in B flat minor, 85 beats per minute have come dead last twice in a row. Uh, they are slightly looking like candidates to come dead last again this year. So really, I mean, I don't want to jinx it. I know we've got the uh, the spectre of Brexit hanging over us, but uh, really, in terms of the uh, theoretical model, sung in D minor, not in 128 beats per minute, uh, sung in English, the UK has about a 92% match uh, against the the perfect Platonic model of a of a Eurovision winner, and that is the highest of all the qualifiers so who knows what we'll see uh if it comes through it will keep me in a job so i'm, I'm i've got my fingers crossed for lucy on a number of a uh, number of fronts pop bitches
3: kit lovelace there you can download a free full color 70 page guide to eurovision seriously as part of the pop bitch app there's a link on our website themediapodcast.com uh, we'll have more media talk after this Time for some news in brief now. Lisa and Tara are still with me and it's all change at the top of British TV, it seems, with ITV's Adam Crozier joining the cabal of CEOs to hand in their notice this year, along with David Abrams at Channel 4 and rumours of changes to Sky's structure if it does indeed become part of 21st Century Fox. Um, Tara, in what shape does Crozier leave ITV?
2: I think, well, in better shape than he found it. Substantially. I would say. Um, which then begs the question who will replace him and what kind of person. You know, they've got had someone in there who is not from a programming background. You know, it's advertising background more, uh, Royal Mail. You've already got Peter Battlejet there. You've got Kevin Liger there. So they know programming. So they know, you know, programming. They know content inside out. So does that mean they will then get someone else in again who knows about a different sphere, say, advertising?
3: Yeah, what do you think, Lisa? Because it it proves, doesn't it? Adam Crozier did prove. We were sniffy about it on this podcast when he was appointed. You know, he's not a programme maker, doesn't know anything about telly. It proves that if you get a business guy and city guy, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people did, Um, city guy and then you have programme makers beneath them, that that can actually work.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he announced his transformation strategy and he he achieved it. So that included, um, you know, not being so reliant on um, on advertising so the advertising revenue now accounts for sort of 50% of the business half the business instead of around 80% when he started 7 years ago he obviously put the emphasis onto ITV studios into into content and owning that content and and built an enormous business i mean it's it's the ITV studios is America's biggest non scripted producer I suppose the question is wow is that because much, of
3: one big show
0: because well they've made loads of acquisitions and and they've been enormous deals for the likes of you know left field entertainment group um so that was a 212 million pound deal so i suppose the question is they they've bought that growth you you could say you know so so we still have to see whether these deals are going to pay off so at the moment uh, you know it's it's really helped Profits, it's helped change that split and the, and the reliance on advertising. I mean, has it gone far enough? Is, is a big question. You know, we know that advertising is a challenging marketplace now for the commercial broadcasters. There's been a different advertising backdrop as well. He's
2: been helped by, you know, the advertising market and programs like Downton and, as Lisa said, Buying Growth. If that hadn't happened, who knows? know what we'd be looking at now. But it's probably a good time for him to go because you know we'll have yet to see
0: about what the return on all of that investment is. And I think it's interesting because normally when a board announces the CEO departure, they have a name to announce for the replacement. Mm. And the fact that they haven't this time makes me, you know, question whether there is a buyer in the midst and you know they've been approached or they've, you know, they're in conversations or something because there isn't someone there in position maybe there's there's something else going on so virgin media or parent liberty global could well be you know looking at this and it's it's the ideal time with the pound being so weak
3: it's fine to talk about the itv studios model but but also actually people were wrong when they said that the the commercial tv live event market was going to dry up because of the internet and because young people don't watch telly and it's still massive, isn't it? It's still, you know, on Twitter of an evening, it's all Broadchurch and Ant & and, you know, Britain's Got Talent. And, I mean, yeah. ITV dominate that sphere.
2: They Well, yeah, they do. They do. That's true. But um, then you have to remember, you know, which, uh, which audience has Twitter, you know, which audience uses Twitter. And, uh, I mean, Facebook is potentially, arguably, you know, outside of the media bubble, more of an ITV sort of heartland kind of audience and, and you look on there but yeah you're right those 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 are the events that people talk about the big dramas there's I mean, still a model in it still massive. Yeah, yeah absolutely no, it hasn't it, really it's, gone anywhere it's still massive people still want to watch good stories people still want to watch live shows and that's that really makes a mark on social media for the broadcasters which is, is why they're so popular
0: one of the things he did say was about sort of revitalizing the entertainment because you're right that's what you know you need the live viewing audience to get the advertisers but there hasn't been a new entertainment show mm. acro- on any channel, really. Well, you know, originated here. I mean, so there's still show. well, yeah.
3: <laughs> huge. <laughs> wasn't <Yeah>. much <laughs> reference to that in Grosjean's <laughs> departure, was there? <laughs>
0: um, but you know, Britain's Got Talent, X Factor. You know, the- these are they've been around for a while, and the numbers are still good, but not as good as they used to be. On demand viewing is growing all the time, but you aren't getting the ad revenue for that. So, at the time shifted viewing, particularly for drama, is, you know, that's, the, that's how people view it. And you, you, we don't have the measurement system in place to, to look across all the platforms. So, I think that's a real challenge for the commercial broadcasters. And it's, you know, for Sky, for, for ITV as well. You know, we've got the overnights, but the overnights is just a, a small part of the story now. So, the whole model really needs to be you know assessed again so I what think. should
3: there be in your view what's well, the measurement I think, system people I think want
0: you you need to look at the consolidated viewing something on sky could be could get four hundred thousand viewers and you think well oh, that that was rubbish but four days later it's 1.4 million but that's not really viewed in the same way as as being a success because it is the everything is all about the overnight still you know we, we use barb that is the measurement system mm. um so but we know that a viewer on-demand is not is worth about a tenth of a linear tv viewer so how do you get people to watch live tv again you, you know we're not getting the new formats coming through and why are
3: they worth a tenth by the way because the on-demand viewer has chosen that because piece of content over everything else get through the ads right okay but a pre-roll that you can't skip i mean it just seems
0: people producing digital content are not making the money from it though it's it's still early days with that you just you know print advertising you obviously you get you pay more for a print ad than you do online that's just how it
3: works mm. Also since our last show, Wikipedia founder Jimmy Wales has announced a new project that will purportedly save journalism and defeat fake news Lisa, how does, he, how does he plan to do that?
0: So this is a site which will combine citizen journalists with journalists to create the content, to give the community more say to verify stories um, and to sort of cut through all the other crap out there I think
3: and Tara, what's been the reaction to this news against your journalistic uh, brethren?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they say that,
2: that um, Jimmy said, I think the news is broken and we can fix it. But it, it, it's a question here of, uh, obviously, you know, Wikipedia was founded on everyone, uh, the, you know, the general public uh, contributing and everyone, you know, publishing things in good faith and, and checking things. But that's being done for free. So what does that say for professional journalists I know he's I think he's hiring 10 journalists Hmm. but that's a lot of news for a small number of journalists to get through
3: and the news Um, they're going to be choosing to look into is going to be the news as far as I can work out that crowdfunding participants to wiki tribune suggest so that in itself has inherent bias doesn't it probably a left-wing bias
2: it could it could well be I mean it's the equivalent I guess of you know newspaper readers coming into conference and saying we'd like you to Uh, write about that and here's a tenor to do it. He's trying to get away from the model of journalism being funded by advertising, which then you think, well that's subscription you know, if people are going to donate that's great, but that's almost a form of subscription. So It's a big
0: task. It's a massive task. Who are these people? And, you know, at least I have some reassurance in the knowledge that a journalist has been trained and knows about impartiality and, you know, libel and all sorts of things. And and just. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But. But you know, the, the, not yeah. that I'm being sniffy. I think there's amazing people out there. But, no, but you, you are know, being a bit <laughs> sniffy, and that's reasonable.
3: I mean, you run the TV festival. You know, if I call up and I say, well, hello, I'd just like to check that you do indeed have Lauren Laverne speaking on this day, because so and so said this. Is that true? Or where are you calling from? Oh, I'm just a citizen journalist. I'm writing for Wiki Tribune. I mean, it comes a point where there's only so many of those calls you're going to take a day, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas well, if exactly. I said I'm writing for the Guardian or the Times or the Sun, you'd say, yeah. "Okay." How we'll does point it have the
0: point. credibility if it? If you, yeah, you're yeah. right. You've the sort of random people just spouting off now. And then. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like
3: the
2: equivalent of I don't know, getting, yeah, citizen, citizen doctors or something. You know, <laughs> there's, there's years of training. although You wouldn't think it sometimes have gone into being a journalist. You know, it's not. I think that's the thing. Everyone thinks that they can be a journalist, but you know, you build up sources over time. You get to build up trust with them they trust you and sometimes that can be um really important when it comes to the crunch on a really difficult story so what that says about the future of of trusting sources and journalists i'm i'm not quite sure but
3: actually this is squarely aimed isn't it at americans who are in a in a post-trump world skeptical both of what we consider the establishment because Trump calls them fake news and of what we would call fake news because Trump got elected, so they don't know where to look, and perhaps they're people who don't buy newspapers and don't watch CNN. and they just they will trust something that has been you know crowdsourced by hundreds of people just to check a fact. That can't be a terrible thing.
2: No, no that's a good point. It is a good point. And, and maybe, you know, there needs to be a new voice, as it were. But it's they will just have to make sure. It's expensive. It's expensive. Good journalism is expensive. And checking, fact-checking, is expensive. Um, you know, you look at how many journalists, news organizations employ Unfortunately, the model is now that perhaps they can't all be, um, you know, kept on because of what's going on in the advertising, in the online advertising world. If Facebook and Google are snaffling up loads of the ad revenue, they can't pay the journalists. But good journalism costs money.
3: Funny you should mention Facebook, uh, because in our next story, also uh, a story in the war on fake news, Facebook has assigned its finest minds to the problem and come up with a full page ad in British newspapers, broadsheets as well, uh, offering readers some top tips to spot fake news. Tara, is this the best they've got? Um, they didn't even put it in the tabloids, they well, just put it in the Guardian and the Telegraph, telling people how to spot fake news.
2: I know, uh, well, Why? so you think there's an assumption there that the br- people who read the bullsheets would know, whereas the people in tabloids wouldn't know so much. A
3: little bit, and I think also... That's what it should have been seen. I think, well no, I think it's a PR coup, isn't it? They're, they're saying, you know, to the people that sort of care about and talk about for the problem of fake news, They're yeah. saying they're, they're virtue signalling to them, look... We're doing this thing, which, of course, yes, is Yes, you're kind of preaching
2: to the converted, really, aren't yeah. you, there? But then there's maybe there's a bit of intellectual snobbery going on here. You know, there's a lot of people who read The Sun who might, you know, or, or some of the other tabloids who would be able to spot fake news. But when you actually read the top ten tips, I mean, it's things like, you know, check it's not a joke and you know if it's a catchy headline perhaps that's a you know a reason why you know facebook
0: are under enormous pressure you've got the you know media select committee damian collins yes. yep. really passionate about this and and investigating you know what should facebook be doing and can it do more with the with the algorithms should it mm. have more people it should be much quicker to spot fake news and it's the argument is it's really slow to to respond to to dodgy stuff it should should be a matter of hours so i think by saying you know hey everyone we are doing something and we know that the tory politicians picking up the telegraph will see that and go oh fantastic they're listening and yeah. they are you know they're doing they're doing something but you know clearly this this doesn't go far enough and putting the onus onto You know the audience instead of taking responsibility themselves, but then you know you had Sheryl Sandberg last week saying that they shouldn't be the arbiter of truth. That's that's not appropriate. So they really want to shift that responsibility onto onto others. They've taken on was it
2: three thousand new. Is it 3,000 people, I think, new Mm. employees to help verify things? But the question is, there's so much output. How many do they need to do that? But you're right, they're pushing it back. Well, obviously, as we are
0: all now citizen journalists, we should know. (laughs) Because we've all had extensive media law training, haven't we? But, I mean, it is, you know, worrying before the election. You know, if you look at what happened in the US, and the top 20 fake news stories were shared more than the top 20 true news stories so you know you could be voting based on lies
3: or you could just be sharing a joke I and mean, that's the other thing isn't yeah, it
0: possibly yep. you, yes you, you yes. could be we sharing it ironically
3: i mean mm. you really don't know mm. um we discussed all of this with two of the ladies from full fact in the episode that we put out on the 14th of april so do go back and have a listen to that they actually wrote that top 10 which facebook then published in the broadsheets didn't even write it themselves uh, so do go back to listen to that uh, right finally before the quiz we heard news this week that share radio Uh, one of the newest stations to launch on DAB, is to return to being an online-only station. Share was part of the bid for a second digital multiplex license won by Sound Digital. In fact, at that point, it was a station called Talk Business, uh, and then Share stepped into its place after the license was won. So it lasted 15 months, Tara. Um, How many of these other new stations do you think will still be here? In five, ten years' time. A,
2: well, yeah, that's a big question. Who knows? I mean, the problem is, it's the, it's basically, it's, the, it's the costs, isn't it? It comes down again to costs. And I mean, I, I know when they said when, when, when it happened that it was also so that it's more measurable. It's because it's online. You can collect more data than you can on on uh, DAB. But Well, they were ex-
3: posting pretty good rags, by the way, that's yes. the size of their operation. Yes. So it's not just. I mean. Well, Presumably, yeah. there just wasn't enough money. In it.
2: I think that's the thing. Again, it comes back to it's expensive, and how do you monetize? I mean, they would, you know, they're, they're doing more more news, aren't they? But um, it comes down to a matter of resources, and to have that kind of infrastructure to be a DAB station, I think audiences are very, they're very discerning. You've got to step up to the market. and it's a crowded market out there. And it's interesting because radio has become. You know, it was still so popular and and on the up, and you would think that more stations like Share would blossom.
3: But then again, I mean, when you're looking at niche platforms, you know, and this is a niche thing. Yes, it's catering to business, so there's a lot of money there, but. It's expensive to run a talk station for a niche, isn't it? I mean, I'm into country music, so I listen to Chris Country, but that is run out of a laptop in Manchester. It's got a few original programs. It's basically just a Spotify playlist. Yes, um yeah. so that's cheap to run as a DAB station and it's yeah. great and it's funded by advertising. You're running a talk station with professional journalists interviewing people in the city of London with flash offices and 60 journalists or whatever they had. I mean, of yeah. course that's not sustainable.
2: Yeah. I, I again as you say it's someone, you know, on their laptop, they're not expected to draw an equivalent salary that they could somewhere else in the media. Good journalism, you know, has to be paid for somewhere and by someone.
3: And Bloomberg are sort of paying for it, aren't they? That, and that's the other thing that happened. Bloomberg came in and launched a radio station in the UK as well, yes, alongside their web help. content. Yeah. Now, you'll be pleased to know we do just have time for our media quiz. Ooh, this week it is entitled Top Lines. As we all know, the key to selling any new format to a commissioner is to have a strong pithy top line that sells the show like just 15 questions to win a million pounds or pet win prizes so with that in mind this week we've imagined the top lines that led to three new stories but when shorn of context can our panelists guess the story uh, it's the best of three you buzz in with your name so lisa you will say lisa and tara you'll say
2: Lisa, no,
3: Tara. <laughs> the winner is Shirley Ballas, the loser, Anton Debeck. Uh here is <laughs> news story number one. What news story does this top line relate to? Your favourite fake radio station turned real. Lisa. Lisa.
0: This is Steve Pink, yes who wanted to launch um, Forever FM, or did I think, as a tribute to CarShare until Peter Kay had a spectacularly Bad luck of sense of humour, and uh, said you
3: can't. Yeah. To which uh, Steve Pink said, "Well, I can launch a playlist of songs that are featured in the show. Yeah. I'll just call it something else." Then. I think what
2: was it going to call it Eternity Radio or yes. something like that. But um, I actually had a look, and I actually sent him a message because the crowdfunding link. Uh, doesn't seem to be working. Oh. They're just giving. So if people are trying to give money to it, it doesn't seem to be... Um, Maybe the whole thing's a panky prank. Maybe. It's all one massive wind-up for Peter Kay, <laughs> just to see how parsimonious he was. OK, very good. intellectual property.
3: Uh, here is short news story number two. Which news story does this top line refer to? What if The Independent had made The Guardian's Media Talk podcast? Tara. Tara.
2: Uh, This is Amal, who is going to present the um, media
3: show. Correct. Amal Rajan has started as presenter of the media show on Radio 4. Mm -hmm. Did you listen?
0: Um, I haven't. You haven't? Have you listened? no, no well I've listened really I've AM. listened
3: Emma. I, listen. I, I was thought listen you did a decent job I, I thought you did a very Sorry. decent job very difficult to follow in the footsteps of Steve Hewlett of course yeah
2: very exactly. difficult and yeah. Andrea um Catherwood as yes, well, who actually, I, been she's fantastic. been great yeah. I'm going to
3: kind of miss her they say yes. she's going to be doing some extra shows but yeah. I suppose the difficulty was they'd employed him as the BBC's media editor and what's mm. the point of having one of those well, if they don't present the media show yes you
2: yeah. get two for two for
0: one don't you it's difficult times for the BBC, cutbacks
3: And actually you're having a Steve Hewlett memorial debate aren't you in Edinburgh we this are, year, that's yes. nice
0: Well Steve was really involved in Edinburgh um, both hosting some of our big sessions and always the you know provocative, controversial, you know he's famous for his huge brain and you know we'll really miss yeah, that, Briefly so. if you can Lisa And uh, <laughs> So we have the Steve Hewlett debate uh, fake news, so we're going to basically every year take the hottest topic and um, in tribute to Steve Hewlett we will, we will name that debate after him
3: Very nice. Okay, right, so it's uh, one all. So this is the tiebreak. Excited? Very. It's palpable. On the edge of my seat. Here it is. Which news story does this top line refer to? In a world where Prince Philip is dead, etc, etc. Tara. Tara.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I assume this is the the son mistakenly saying that Prince Philip... Had died when we were waiting for the uh, announcement Mm. of his, um, which turned out to be his retirement, and someone must have just pressed go. I mean, it happens. You know, we've all written two versions of a story or yeah. a few versions of a story, you know, ready to, to go, say, at the end of, you know, a, a talent show or something, and there's down to two finalists.
3: But that's the thing. I mean, improbable as it seems, there are versions of election stories written now yeah, where Jeremy I, Corbyn's won well, a landslide, aren't there, yeah, just in case. exactly. And yeah. so presumably
2: someone was told, right, you write this one if it's the Queen, you write this one if it's Prince Philip, what other the options button. there were, and someone must have accidentally pressed go.
3: But it was deleted after a few minutes... Um, it was still
2: up if you looked on search though, it
3: stayed it? on Google search for a few hours yeah. what yeah. can news organisations do it? about that I yeah because it was did. picked up because it kind of yeah. went viral because the sun apologises on Twitter which mm. is a Twitter account which is just sort of knives out for the sun basically yeah. tweeted about it it yes. became a thing yeah so the French and then, Google started then, ranking then picked it. up on yeah. it yeah. it's
2: every media organisation's worst nightmare isn't
3: it yeah. uh, well uh, Tara with that you are the winner of today's Whee! media podcast quiz thank, thank you pretty what exciting what do I get Honour and valour. Oh, and an invitation that. to return. Thank you. Um, that's it for our show today. My thanks to Tara Condon and Lisa Campbell. Catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as we release them by subscribing for free at our website, themediapodcast.com. This episode is dedicated to John Wigsell. John makes the new Tech Monthly podcast from Inside Exeter's growing tech community. You can find out more at phonic.fm/slash tech. Thanks, John. Uh, join him. Keep us on the air. Go to themediapodcast.com slash donate. Uh, I've been Ollie Mann. The producer was Matt Hill. The Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time. Bye-bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still
2: deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.